You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody. It's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. I'm very, very excited to be doing this show. And in just a minute, you will know why. So if you've been watching the Today Show for any length of time, then it wasn't so long after the recession that you saw a series of segments called Money 911 pop up. And these were segments that we just thought people have so many questions about what's going on with our money. What do we do now? How do we get back on track? We, we were overwhelmed by questions. And the producer said, look, we'll just give you time to answer them. And so they scheduled a weekly segment, sometimes in the eight o'clock hour, mostly in the nine o'clock hour and brought together a panel of People I love, Sharon Epperson, David Bach for the most part, sometimes Farnoosh Tarabi, sometimes other people, but mostly it was just me and Sharon and David. And we could count on seeing each other every single week. And then the economy got better and things started to stabilize and things went back to normal. I started to do my regular money segments. Sharon was back over at CNBC doing her everyday work. David, unbeknownst to all of us, went on this fabulous 18-month sabbatical, which he's told this audience about. And then I, I looked up one day and Sharon wasn't there. And she wasn't there the next week. And she wasn't there the week after that. And I got a little worried and I started trying to do some digging. I feel like I'm a pretty good reporter. This was not easy to report. Finally, I ended up on a panel with one of Sharon's CNBC colleagues, a woman named Bertha Coombs. And I said, what is the deal? Nobody will tell me what's going on. And she said, you should just reach out. Sharon's had a traumatic brain injury. She is on leave and you should just reach out. And so I, I reached out and reached out to Sharon, reached out to her husband, Chris, and I can't tell you how happy I was when I ran into, you see a lot of CNBC people in airports, and I ran into Tyler Matheson in an airport at LaGuardia. We were both running for planes, and I said, is Sharon back? And he said, she's back today. Today's the first day I saw her in the office. And she's got a story to tell, and she's here today to tell it because it's a really important personal story, but it's also a really important money story. So I'm so glad to see you. Welcome. I'm so glad to be here. So let me just tell everybody, you've got a, a laundry list of credentials. I am not going to men mention every single one of them. You've been on CNBC for how many years? 21 years. 21 years. You host these days a digital series called Retire Well. Yes. 
We see you on Nightly Business Report all the time covering personal finance. You wrote a book called The Big Payoff about couples and money. And you have been out for the past year, year and a half. Yeah, I was out for over a year. What happened? One day I was thinking I was going to go to work and have my regular super busy day. And I wanted to get a workout in right before going into the office. And while I was at the gym, I had the worst headache of my life, the worst feeling, the worst sensation that I'd ever experienced. I didn't think I pulled a muscle. It wasn't that kind of headache. It was something I just could not even explain. And I knew I had to get out of there as quickly as possible. It turned out that at that moment when I had that feeling, I had something literally explode in my brain. I had a brain aneurysm rupture. And uh, it took a very long time to get the proper treatment and recovery process and rehabilitation process to be able to get back to work. But after about 13 months, I made it back to CNBC. So you just glossed over that day very quickly. But (laughs) you called your husband. I did. I did. You ended up in surgery. I did. So I, I called my husband. I had driven myself to the gym and I just knew I couldn't drive. I couldn't turn my head. I couldn't turn my head. And I thought this is not, and I didn't feel well enough to get out of there, but I knew um, that I needed to get home quickly. And that was probably my first layperson's mistake. I probably should have known I should have gotten to the emergency room quickly, but I just wanted to be in the comfort of my house and with my husband and try to figure out what was going on. And he did pick me up and brought me home and got me some coffee. And I still wasn't feeling right. And he said, you know what? I guess I also didn't look well, and he took me to my primary care physician's office. She wasn't able to see me. She was booked at that moment and said, you know, you need to see somebody quickly, see this physician, her colleague. And he said that later, he told me, he said, you just look like you need to go straight to the ER. And I had symptoms for those people who have the worst headache of their life. It's often coupled with having a stiff neck and uh, nausea, vomiting. Um, and a little bit of in and out of consciousness. Sometimes you're completely unconscious, and I was kind of drifting in and out. I had all of those symptoms. And he said, you need to go to the emergency room. And so going from the doctor's office to the ER, my husband said, I'm going to be faster than the ambulance because he was just so concerned. He took me to the emergency room, and there I had a CT scan that showed bleeding on my brain. And I don't really remember that part very well. I remember getting to the emergency room and being told I was going to have this scan. And then I remember the doctor's words. And then after that, I said, I have to call my sister. She lives in Silver Spring, Maryland. I need to let her know what happened. And I called her and I told her, pulled her out of her meeting for work and told her what happened and said, don't tell mom who lives in Pittsburgh, which was silly (laughs) because, of course, she had to tell my mom. But I didn't want her to worry. Yeah. And I said, that's the last thing that I want my mom to have to, who's a widow, to have to deal with. But um, somehow... I got the treatment that I needed. I was taken by ambulance from ER to another hospital, um, not my the hospital that I had first chosen, but I did not have time to go far. And so I went to the closest hospital that happens to be one of the best hospitals in the country and, in my opinion, in the world, because they saved my life, for treating brain aneurysms. And I went straight to surgery and did have brain surgery that night. And now I have two handy-dandy, teeny-tiny, paperclip-like things that have repaired this rupture that happened on the one of the most critical arteries of my brain. So I've now learned that it's something that many people never survive. The majority of people, 40%, pass away immediately. Of those that do survive, 60% or more have 
debilitating uh, neurological deficits for the rest of their lives. And so it, when a medical professional tells you this was a miracle, then you know. Because they don't say that very often. They don't say that very often. What was the recovery like? What kept you out of work for the whole year plus? Well, I was in the hosp- in hospitals for over a month. Um, and following that, I was an outpatient rehabilitation therapy. And, you know, people say, well, you were only in the hospital for a month and that was a quick recovery. And that word is very optimistic and it's very positive, but it's not very realistic because recovery means a lot of things to a lot of people. My speech was not slurred after a month and I was able to have a conversation. Whether or not I remembered all the conversation or was communicating exactly what I was thinking at all times, I'm not too sure. Sometimes I don't think I was doing that. Physically, I might have been able to stand and walk slowly, but I wasn't walking like I was the day that that happened or the day before that happened. So it was a very slow process with that part of the recovery. And I spent several months in physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech and communication therapy. And then just having to get stronger. Mm-hmm. The way that we work and, and, those, and the schedule that we keep requires a lot of stamina. And even today, I need much more sleep than I needed before. And I have to take things slowly. And I think one of the things that was so surprising in my rehab was when the therapist said, multitasking is your worst enemy. And I was like, have you, you've not, you've just met me. So you don't understand. (laughs) I don't even, I don't even know what that means. That's all I do. Right. And focus on one thing, one thing at a time and try to do it well. And so I have to keep that in my mind every day because I'm so used to, as a mom of a 15 year old and a 12 year old, um, it's hard not to multitask the mommy jobs and the career the and jobs. everything. And, you know, being with my husband, managing our family, it's a lot. It's a lot. But it's important to kind of now I've been forced to stop. I was forced to stop, review, refocus and reinvent. I said at the beginning of this, this is not just a personal story. It's a financial story. Yeah. And you do what I do. I mean, we've we've been on this walk together for 20 years. I know that because of how I've reported, I've also known enough to put my financial ducks in a row. And I assume that you did too. I absolutely did. And, I, and I'm so happy that I kind of listened to all the experts that we talk to all the time and the financial advisors that say, you should do this and consider this and you know, weighing the pros and cons of the fees associated with buying this product or doing this thing. But one of the most important things that I think that I did was take advantage of all of the benefits that I could that were offered through my employer. And um, one of those was long-term disability insurance. So I already had, and a lot of lot of employees are able to get short-term disability, which is very helpful and can cover you for six months or so. But what if it's longer? And initially, I never thought it was going to be longer, but it was. And being able to have my salary, at least a, a good portion of it, covered by, you know, giving me that income was very important. People spend so much time, particularly in what I do in, with CNBC and talking about investments and where should you have your portfolio and how should you invest it, so much time in picking the right stock or the right mutual fund. But the biggest investment you can make is in your earnings, right. your earnings potential. And when that goes away, it is shocking what that can do to your family and to your household income. And so having disability insurance to cover a portion of your earnings 
is critical to keep the family going. A lot of companies either don't offer disability insurance. Sometimes it's expensive. It's always been called the type of insurance that's most needed but rarely bought. I mean, what do you say to all those people who say, I can't, I can't afford it? So I was offered the policy through my job. At some point, they changed the policy so that in order to get the maximum that they would offer, you had to opt in for that and pay for some of that from your out of your own payroll. And I remember asking, and I and I don't know everything, so I do have people that I ask. And I remember asking my financial advisor, "This, you know, should I pay the extra?" And it was not very much a paycheck, maybe ten, twenty dollars. I don't remember, but it was a relatively small amount. He said, "Get everything you can, get all that you can, and, and you never know." And thank goodness, because then I was able to have 60% of my salary covered in terms of getting that portion back in disability income. People who say that a lot of freelancers that I work with say, you know, they don't think about it. It's just another expense. It's so expensive. And as you know, I've done a lot of freelance work over the course of my career. And I wanted to have at some point, I thought it was important to make sure that was covered too, because that was adding to our household income. So I also have a private disability policy. And now that I'm not, I'm not able to do as much freelance, I'm not able to, I needed to have that income as well. Yeah. So, um, while it was, it seemed expensive and there were definitely years and there will perhaps be years in the future where I feel, okay, I'm strapped. I can't believe I'm paying insurance for this, you know, paying these premiums. I am so happy that I did. And so now when I look at other types of insurance that I have and I think about, well, maybe I, now I don't now I know you never know when you're going to need it. You know, it's so interesting that you say it that way because I have private disability insurance. I've been a freelancer forever and every single time I get the quarterly bill which is so expensive, I say to my husband, "Can I just, you know, should we just drop this?" And we talk about it back and forth and we inevitably say, "No, we should not drop this." Right. And we keep paying it and we you hope that you're throwing money down the drain. Exactly. Exactly. People don't think about it as often when it comes to their homeowner's insurance or their car insurance. I mean, this is your livelihood. You won't have the car. You won't have the house if you don't have the income. And so it's really important to put that first. But it is hard. And and I now am on a I'm kind of on my own crusade with all the freelancers that I work with. And I ask that question. Many of them don't. But I hope in the course of the next few months, because I'm going to badger them until they tell me they've looked into it, they'll get policies. I want to hear about the other financial lessons that you learned as well. But before we do that, let me just take a minute to remind everybody, Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. And Fidelity is focused on helping women like all of us take charge of our financial lives because we deserve to live the lives that we work so hard for. So Visit fidelity.com slash front seat. You'll find more conversations like this one with Sharon Epperson. You'll find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times, whether you're getting married, divorced, starting a new career. Again, that's fidelity.com slash front seat. And yes, that is a different address than the one that I usually send you to, but Fidelity has done a number on its website. You'll see this podcast there and you'll see a lot of other great information as well. So the health insurance news that we read in the papers every day and the price continuing to go up, what's your feeling about how you should best buy it at this point, having come through what you've come through? 
I think it's very important to think about not how should you buy it, how much it's going to cost, but how am I going to view, reevaluate, reassess, and improve my health so that my coverage will be manageable. So when people say it's so, it's, it is so expensive for health insurance, and particularly when you have a family and all of that, but if you're able to manage your health and to really try to be mindful about staying healthy, you may be less likely to have to incur those big expenses. And you may be able to get coverage that is less expensive than something that's going to be completely comprehensive. Having said that, I am so thankful that I had comprehensive coverage through my employer um, because I did have such a serious injury and so many months of medical care associated with it. But I do now take a lot more care of my own health in terms of being mindful of what tests I need to have, what I should be eating, taking vitamins, things that I never really focused on except for those nine months each time when I had to when I was pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now I really, really do try to pay attention to what I'm eating. And I still have my coffee and I still have my chocolate. And I, But I pay attention. And I think so many people, again, in our busy lives, it's one thing we don't pay attention to is our health. So it's not just the cost of health care, but it's the cost to having a healthy life to your longevity. So when you think about the other financial dominoes that toppled during this time, what else was important? Well, I managed the family money pretty much, um, paying the bills and things like that. And I was not in any shape to do that. For a month when I was out of the home and for many months after that, I needed someone to help me with the checks and balances of it. But thankfully, I also had some checks and balances already in place. And that's because almost all of my bills are automated. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, there are people that are concerned about um, identity theft or concerned about the security of, of doing your financial planning that way. But I think it's very, very important to automate as much of your financial life as possible. Um, with sources that you trust and making sure that it's a secure site and all of those things. But having that relationship with my bank, which means I don't know the teller's name, but I know I have alerts for everything. When I spend more than 250 I get an alert. When, you know, I, I just, and it was very important to keep track that way. And that way my husband didn't have to worry about things being paid because everything was pretty much automated. Um, the other thing that I would do was for the things that were not automated, the lesson that I learned is I should have one place where all of my financials were kind of kept. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's my brokerage accounts, my retirement accounts, my checking in savings accounts through my bank, just to know where all of those are and where I stand on all that. And so I've done that since I've been well enough to kind of focus on my finances. I didn't have that before, but now I have a place where I can t have a total view of all of my finances. And that's very helpful. Online? Online. What, Online. What about things like passwords? What about things like, I mean, I worry about this with my mother. Like, I don't know what her passwords are. I think right. she has written them down someplace in a, and I would know where to access that. Mm -hmm. But, or the fact that Chris did have to pick up some things that weren't automated. How yeah. do you plan for that? So it is difficult to plan for that. And there are password managers and things that you can use, which at this point I have not signed up for, and I really should. But I do have them written down somewhere and tucked on somewhere that he can find. That part was difficult. And, and quite frankly, our financial um, management for our household came to a standstill for over a month. Mail piled up. Bills were not paid, but they weren't paid. They didn't have to be because right. they were automated, but the major bills. But 
that's what happened. And I think that happens in a lot of cases. And if I had been out longer and unable to do things for a longer period of time, it would have been even more serious. It also created an opportunity for a discussion with Chris about this is where certain things are, this is what we're doing, and this is where we can find everything. That helped as well. I think when anything big like this happens in our lives, whether it happens to us, whether it happens to our parents, whether it happens to our kids, we reevaluate. We just take a big, long look at our work picture, life picture, and think about whether it should be different. What was your answer coming out of that? My answer was that it had to be different. I don't think I would have ever changed the pace of my work schedule or trying to be the best at everything at every moment. It was my goal. And that's no longer my goal. My goal is to kind of be the best in the moment that I'm in and try to perform to the best that I can at that task. And so whether that's trying to organize which of us is going to get to the basketball game and who's going to bring the snacks and make sure he has his water because he's going to forget his water bottle in the middle of the game (laughs) (laughs) or who's going to take my daughter to her art class or piano or something like that, or what story am I going to work on for CNBC today? Not what five stories am I going to try to do for the web and for TV and, you know, something else. I need to really focus and do well on what I can do. And that also helps me to enjoy the moment that I'm in, to really appreciate that rather than just trying to execute all the time without really savoring the moment. Have you been enjoying life more since this happened? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like the craziest thing, but it is the best thing that ever happened to me. The greatest blessing of my life was to almost lose my life because it really did force me to realize how much I have to offer and how much is already being given to me and to appreciate that, whether it's my family members or whether, frankly, it's my work family. 20 years is a long time. 21 years is a long time. And so I've had colleagues and and friends that I've met over the years that have really been there for me. And as I'm transitioning back to work, continue to be, thank you so much, Jean, there for me. And so um, I think, yeah, I appreciate life every day. We will leave it there. Sharon Epperson, thank you so much. Thank you. We are glad you're back. Thank you. Kelly's joined me in the studio. Hi, Jean. Hello. So what does that make you think you have to do about your personal protection plan? My personal protection plan of my finances and factoring in my finances for my health. I'm not going to lie. So this conversation made me feel nervous. Like the idea of what happened to her, I mean, that could almost happen to anyone. Yeah. And it makes me really scared. And now I understand how the fear can almost be immobilizing and that you don't even want to think about it and you turn away. So you don't have the plan. So I think the answer to your question for me is to not dig my head in the sand or look the other way and face the fear and just making sure I have, as we talk about emergency savings, make sure I'm insured, make sure I'm doing my due diligence on my checkups and doing all of my appointments. I think that's it for me. Is that what you mean? No, it is. And when we talk about insuring 
your income. Mm-hmm. You know, as she pointed out, and it's one of our money rules that your job, your income earning ability is mm. your most important investment. You need to ensure that both for yourself and for any people who depend on you. So when we're talking about doing it for yourself, that's health insurance and disability insurance. And a lot of people don't have it. I don't. I didn't when I was your age either. And as a small employer, we don't offer it. And it is expensive. And when it comes to insuring your income for people who depend on you when you get married or if your parents are ever depending on your income or your kids are depending on your income, it means life insurance. Which I don't have any dependence yet, but it's something to keep in mind. Like that could happen any day, right? Right. But it doesn't mean you need life insurance. Oh, okay. Single single people who don't have any dependents mm-hmm. really don't need life insurance. Okay. I mean, sometimes they argue, well, I don't want my family to have to pay for my funeral expenses. So I'm going to buy a small policy for that. Or um, I want to leave some money to people. So I'm going to buy a small policy for that. I would argue you just save for those things and leave some money. Mm. Yep. It's a really important conversation. Yeah. And I so appreciate her sharing her story like that. Me too. And I'm so glad she's okay. Me too. She looks great, she by does. the way. She, she looks, looks fabulous. Looks great. I mean, yeah. we'll show you a picture so you can see how terrific she looks. And anyway, she had fabulous shoes. I just want to put that in there. She I did. loved her shoes. All right. What do we have question-wise? Our first question is from someone who would like to remain anonymous because she says she's recommended the show to so many of her girlfriends and she isn't ready to get this personal with them yet. I get it. Mm -hmm. I totally get it. We will respect that. She writes, I'm 28 and have been working for six years since I graduated. Through a series of job changes in that time, I have quadrupled my salary. I started out making 30000 and now I make six figures. Do you have any tips for preventing lifestyle creep? I love that term. I lived comfortably when I was making 30000 but now that I'm making more and I'm in a more high-powered position that requires me to be put together and polished, I'm noticing things like a $150 pair of shoes that I would have never considered five years ago suddenly seem more reasonable. Help, I recognize this is a great problem to have, but I want to manage my new income well for the future. I have one comment and I have one suggestion. So the first comment is that this is so normal, right? We learn from behavioral finance that where money is concerned, people do two things all the time. We adapt and we compare. So we compare ourselves, how much we make, how much we have to the other people around us. And it turns out that relative income and assets mean a lot more to us than just a number on a page. When it comes to adapting, though, if you've ever had that experience where you get a raise and then all of a sudden, one or two paychecks later, you have no idea how you ever lived on less money, this is the reason, because you adapted. And that's what is happening here. But I love the fact that you're trying to catch yourself in mid-adaptation so that you can put a lid on it. My suggestion is save first. Figure out what your savings goals are, long-term, short-term, mid-range. You can make them bigger than you want to make them. You can start a house fund. You can start a fund for your next car. You can start a fund for college for kids that you don't even have yet. Set these sorts of goals and then start automating contributions into all of those accounts. And then whatever's left 
If you have a little lifestyle creep, I think that's fine. I've also seen people do it in other ways. I've seen them just decide that they're going to live on half because they know that they could live on half. And they also know that there will be years in the future, perhaps when those kids that you don't even have yet have to go to college, that you figure you can't spend as much money. But saving so much now by artificially restricting yourself gives you the freedom to spend more later. And I did exactly that. So a couple times when I've received raises, I immediately put the new amount into my savings account or boosted my retirement Mm -hmm. savings, Uh, put it into my savings account. And it also bought me time to figure out what I would like to do with it. It's a little like a windfall. And when we give people advice about windfalls, lottery wins, inheritances, it's always do nothing for six months Mm. to give yourself the opportunity to think about what you really want to do so that you don't just go out and buy something. Right. And I don't mind it just sitting there either and growing. So Right. That's kind of fun. Like she said, it's a good problem to have. Absolutely. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you, Anonymous. And we'll do one more from Mel. Hi, Jean. I recently came across your podcast and I'm deeply grateful. As a woman in her late 20s with a good job and decent pay, but zero clue on personal finance management, I am soaking up your advice. One question. How would you advise going about setting up a will? I do have some savings. And if, God forbid, anything were to happen to me, I'd like what I own to to go to my family. So when you say you'd like what you own to go to your family, if by family you mean parents, that's probably going to happen anyway without a will. You should know that the government, and by government I mean each state because these are state-run things, has essentially a hierarchy that shows where your money goes if something happens to you. And if you're married, it's a spouse. If you're not married, It's a child. If you don't have children, it's a parent. It it sort of works like that. So you at least know that you've got some sort of fallback. It's not like the government's going to take your money. But I think having a will, a basic will, is a really, really nice and generous thing to do for the people that you love because it allows you to get a little more specific about the fact that, hey, you have a cousin who you know is going to graduate school and you'd like a little bit of money to go there whatever you have decided you want to do. And I would say go about it the easiest way possible. There are programs online like Willmaker, which is now owned by Intuit. They own Quicken and LegalZoom. You can do a will for well under $100 and get it done inside about an hour. And you're such a proactive thinker. I recently read about an app called Tomorrow. It's a life insurance app, and I believe you're able to set up a will through Tomorrow as well. But what's also cool about it is you can look at all of your items and assign, like if you have a piece of jewelry that you feel really strongly about, that means a lot to you. You can put a a name a, on it. A name on it. Yeah. A request. It, uh, yeah. A request that it goes to that. So if you're already thinking about what you own, wanting to go to your family, you can get even more specific with it through tomorrow. And I'm sure there are other available apps and services on the market too. I'm going to check that app out. Thank you, Kelly. Absolutely. And thank you, Jean. And thank you everyone for your questions. Absolutely. And in our Thrive segment for today, this is just about the time of year when New Year's resolutions, if you made them in the first place, and this 
year, the research showed that fewer people were making them than ever before. But if you made one, this is the time of the year where they start dropping like flies. So, if you want some help hanging on to yours, we've got it, and it comes in the form of changing your own mind. So, here's what I want you to do. First, think a little bit more about the future. One of the major factors that drives us to spend too much and even rack up debt is impatience, and this is according to the research of behavioral economist Sarah Newcomb. There's a real correlation between how far into the future people tend to think and how good they are at managing their money. So start thinking not just about what's coming your way this year, but in five years and ten years, and try to make it specific. Specifics really help. Second. Steer clear of the sales. They are everywhere, especially this time of year, and this is important because sales play into our ability to have enough willpower to do the right thing. So, if you are trying to pay off some debt this year, if you're trying to save more this year, those tend to be the primary financial New Year's resolutions. Get out of the store and off the websites where things are marked S A L E. Consumer psychologist Kit Yarrow says that in her research, people tend to spend more when they're bargain hunting, not less. That word is a really, really powerful one. And third, and finally, embrace your own financial power. People who believe that they have the ability to create their own financial destinies, rather than being subject to outside forces, tend to have the ability to do it. But believe is the opposite word here. You can believe even if you're faking it till you're making it. But automation also really helps. Because setting a couple of defaults for saving, for example, or automated bill payments, so you're never late, and keeping your asset allocation in line helps you succeed. And once you start to succeed, that just keeps going. Thanks so much for listening to me today, to all of us today. Thank you to Sharon Epperson for sharing her amazing story. We are so glad that you're back with us. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at iTunes and leave us a review. We want to know what you think. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And join us next week when we'll be back with another terrific guest. We'll talk soon. Bye.